Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, everyone. You're listening to the latest Flyers Talk podcast. I am Jordan Hall, and as always, I am joined by the dynamic Joe Fordyce. Joe, it would be tough to argue with the Flyers' response out of this long break. They won the first two games of this stretch drive, wins over the Panthers and Jets. John Tortorella wasn't thrilled, it seemed like, with the 4-1 win over the Jets last night. We'll get into that more in a little bit here, Joe. But Joe, what was your biggest takeaway with how the Flyers have played in these first two games? Well, a couple things. Uh, and I mentioned this to Al Morgani last night. I think that um, I, I'm not going to have claimed to watch a ton of Winnipeg games other than the ones they played against the Flyers. But you could argue the Flyers handled handed that team their two worst games of the year. Because I felt like in both of the games, definitely last night, it was in the first half of the game where how the Flyers were playing against them made the made the Jets look disinterested in the game. And I think that's quite an accomplishment. I mean, this team had the best record in the NHL at one point in the league, at one point in time this season. That was when the Flyers beat them in Winnipeg. They, I, they came into last night struggling. But, I mean, we're still talking about Kyle Connor, Mark Scheifele. These are really good players. They have a lot of really good players. They have a really good record. They have, well, I mean, Connor Hellebuck didn't play last night, but their backup, um, Brosois, Brosois, played last night, and he, quite frankly, he looked really bad. I was stunned. Um, you know, so I think what, what I liked about last night's game is that they noticed that this team looked vulnerable. And they took advantage and they added on by, you know, particularly the second, um, the, the, the Palin goal kind of, to me was the nail in the coffin. And, um, you know, they, they didn't let this team up and I'm sure in the back of their minds, they knew this team struggles to score. Um, the Winnipeg Jets struggle to score. And, um, so, and then when you look at, Tuesday's game against Florida, it's it, it was a low-scoring game, and they were able to hammer that game down, and it was a game they got down in. So already out of the gates in two games, we're seeing some things we saw earlier in the season with the Flyers being able to win games in different ways and then having different guys contribute. You have Noah Cates get the game-winning goal against Florida. Last night, you have Paling chip in, Frost chips in. Um, you know, you're getting up and down the lineup scoring, um, solid defensive play outside of the first period against Florida. Uh, and then, as I said, last night, I, I felt like it was just 
let's pile on a little bit here while we have the chance. And that's teams that know how to win. That's what teams that know how to win, that's what they do. And I think the Flyers have shown that in the past couple uh, couple of games. And and quite frankly, I I don't I don't know think I would say that that was expected considering what was going on before the All Star break. A five game losing streak, season worst going into the break, and then they come out and they win these two games over top ten teams by combined score six two. I've I've been impressed, Joe. I think they've what you mentioned have gotten back to the way they were playing. That has caused them to exceed expectations here uh, to surprise so many people. They've looked like the team that was doing that uh, before this five-game skid. Joe, yeah, I'm, I've, I've really, it's really opened my eyes with the way they've come back in one game and then against the Winnipeg team where they just really set the tone from the start at home uh, where they haven't played particularly well. I thought they came out and kind of stepped on their throats a little bit and Winnipeg, of course, had a pushback. I think when a team like that uh, that's expected to make the playoffs goes down 4 nothing early in the second period, there's going to be pushback. They, there's a good chance Winnipeg might maybe outplay them over the f- final two periods. But as long as the Flyers just weather the storm, they win that game, and they do. They win it by three goals. Winnipeg doesn't score until the final five and a half minutes of the game. I had no problem really with how the Flyers finished that game. Um, I'm not expecting to dominate Winnipeg for three periods and win seven nothing. Yeah, and quite frankly, when you get up four goals, it's hard to keep the pedal floor. Yeah, you know, there's going to be lulls in games. There just is, Um, and particularly, you're you're playing a team that struggles to score. So I I think in the back of the mind, and I'm not saying this is the right mindset, but in the back of the Flyers' minds, when you put up four against them, you got to think this team's probably not going to score four. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's only natural. Um, but it's not as if they scored in the first period and then stopped playing. So the, they did add on. So I don't think it was a full, you know, let's take two periods off on this game. And I do, I, I feel like it was kind of, talked about in that way let's say um by some of the commentary surrounding the game and of course the way John Tortorella was after the game it seemed like it was like well we played one good period but I don't know that that's necessarily the case um so I mean you get a shorthanded goal uh that wasn't in the first period so you know maybe the penalty so you don't want to be start taking penalties when you're you know up two or three goals because to me, three is one of those leads where the next goal becomes very crucial because especially with some of the, some of the, the high-end talent that Winnipeg has that we're not playing the first time these teams met. Um, so, I, I mean, I can see a little bit of the frustration, um, but to me, far and away, the period that stands out in terms of a sag since these in these two games was the first period against Florida. So um, I don't think anything remotely close to that happened in the game against Winnipeg. So it's impressive. And Sam Harrison, I mean, he deserves all the credit. He needed a bounce back. I understand he wasn't getting a ton of help in front of him, particularly in the Boston game before the break, but uh, he needed a bounce back and he's certainly done that in the last two games. 
um, making big saves, close to a shutout last night. Um, so I really think that was a much needed couple of games for Erickson as well, as well as the team as a whole. Celebrity cook Steve Martirano brings his Italian-American cooking back home to Philly. Enjoy Martirano's prime at Rivers Casino and Steve's famous meatballs with Sunday gravy, prime steaks, and more. Make reservations for Martirano's prime on open table. Joe, despite outscoring the Jets in the two meetings 6-1, to one, a nice little feather in the Flyers' cap, especially for a team like the Jets who allow the fewest goals per game in the league. John Tortorello didn't seem too happy after last night's win. His post-game press conference went just barely over one minute in length. A lot of one-word answers and respond in response to questions. Clearly, I don't think he was happy with the final two periods, Joe. But what did you make of Tortorello kind of being short and snippy despite a you know his team winning by three goals over a pretty good team? So I, I do I do think there's an element of some days he just doesn't feel like talking about the games. And that's regardless of because I find him very unpredictable. He's angry after wins a lot of times. He's happy after losses. It's it's kind of uh, you never really know what you're going to get from him. And I think last night was one of those nights, you know, clearly not happy with some of the things that went on over the, the second half of the game, I would say. Um, but I do think it's something that sometimes it's just, he didn't feel like talking. Um, because in particular, was it, I think it was your question about Konechny's night where that he, was not me, but it was not. Okay. So, yeah. um, but someone asked about Travis Konechny's night and he said something to the effect of, yeah, I guess. <laughs> and I, you know, I don't know how you could argue with Konechny's game last night. I mean, he set the tone. Maybe you don't want him fighting. I don't know, but that said, he set the tone for the game. Um, so I, there's little things you can nitpick, but I, I do think there's there's definitely a, an element with him that is more obvious than other coaches when they just don't feel like talking about a game. And I'm not sure it's necessarily due to one or two things, but I just think sometimes he – comes in and he's not ready to um he, he, he's not ready to go in depth on any topic about the game and I feel like last night was one of those nights I've said it before and I said it because I've heard from some folks who know him best it, Tortorella is a motivation scientist it's this is kind of what he does and it, it does make him unpredictable uh when his team's maybe being criticized or beaten down publicly publicly you know, he'll bring it up. He wants to kind of control the narrative a little bit if he can via the media. And he's very smart like that. He's savvy. He's strategic. And then when his team maybe is being praised, when maybe he feels like it needs to kind of stay humble, he might take it down a notch. And don't get me wrong. I think he probably did have a problem with the way they finished the game. Maybe he wanted to see them keep the foot on the gas a little bit more, uh, maybe not let them get back into the game or not let the Jets control two periods. Maybe he wanted them to technically win two periods rather than just one in that game. But really, I think – Yeah, I would, he, I would say, though, like to that point, I think they did win two periods. Yeah, I do too. I And, you know, um, there's been other games where I could definitely see this more. Start fast, 
lag and kind of hang on. There was no hack. To me, this game was over with eight, you know, with 12 minutes left in the second period. This game was over. I felt like you could see it on the ice. You could see it in Winnipeg's interest or lack thereof level on the game in the game. So last night was a puzzling one for me because, you know, you go in, you're up four nothing most of the game. Kyle Connor gets a goal that's sort of in garbage time. And the game never felt like it was in doubt. And um, that's kind of the reaction. So it's a little, it, it, it was a puzzling one for me because I felt like they did win. They outplayed Winnipeg for more than half of this game. And then the other half, Sam Harrison played well. Their defense played well. I thought so too, and I thought it's not a problem that Harrison had to make some saves. Like I think it, it's he's that's why the goalie's well. there, right? It's and not it, like he got bombarded with shots last night. So no, he there faced, are games where that's happened. Last night was not one of them, right? He's, he faced twenty nine shots, made twenty eight saves in Florida. He faced only twenty one. He was incredibly important early in the game to kind of let the Flyers have a chance to come back later in the second and third periods, but. Yeah, I just think I really think it's Tortorella kind of being Tortorella. I, I think he knows how important this time of year is and how important it is to keep his team focused on getting better and not being satisfied with a win. If you remember their last homestand before this one, they beat up on the Stars, probably their best game of the season, a cup contending team, and then they lost five straight. So maybe Tortorella is just remembering while this. While this win looks great and it looks shiny and it looks nice, they got to keep focused on maybe doing this better, doing that better, and uh, you know not being happy. So, while I'm sure he there are parts of the game that he wasn't happy with, I really think it's a coach, a veteran coach, just understanding to keep his team as balanced and in in focus as possible. That that's that was the read I got. I've seen him do this kind of before, where like I think he's gonna blast his team after a game, and then he like defends it. And then there's times where I'm like, hey, that was a really good win, and then he he kind of sours it a little bit with his post game comments. But I, I thought the Flyers played well. I thought they deserved credit for that game, and I think he could have given some more on like Konecki's performance or what Erson did in net. Um, but he did. I'm with you, Joe. He just did not seem like he was in the mood to really talk at all about that game, for some reason. And that he, you know, he went in there determined to, I think, be short and kind of snippy. And if that's that's how he operates, that's how he wanted to operate. I mean, yeah, um, and, and you had even, yeah, and you had even some of his favorite things going on, and particularly early in that game. Uh, you know, Winnipeg comes on an odd man rush, and Shifley sets up Connor right in the slot. They block the shot. Nick Sealer lays out and blocks a shot. I mean, those you're nullifying chances by their top players mm-hmm. and making, I mean, until late in this game, I don't really feel like Shifley and Connor were a big threat. Um, of course, they're a threat every time they come on the ice, those two players, and the Flyers didn't see them when they played in Winnipeg. But uh, I, I felt like the Flyers really kept them at bay. I don't think there were a lot of like high grade scoring chances allowed by the Flyers. They block shots. They do. They did what they do. Um, and then, you know, clearly they had some lulls in that game. Um, the the final ten minutes, I can see where where 
where Tortorella wouldn't be happy. But um, if you're up for nothing, I, I just think it's natural that's going to happen in a game, particularly when you have a young team. I agree. Four nothing lead early in the second period against a team that gives up the fewest goals in the league per game and against a team that's expected to make the playoffs. There's going to be pushback. There's going to be natural kind of a sway in momentum. All the Flyers have to do there is not collapse. Literally just avoid a epic collapse. And I thought they did that. Uh, but, yeah, I think uh, Tortorella was doing what he does at times and uh, wants to control the narrative a little bit and keep his team focused. I don't think it's a terrible thing. I'm sure it confused some fans and people that watched the post-game press conference. But, uh, you know, kudos to Konechny. He actually kind of sounded like Tortorella post-game. I mean, that guy absolutely drove the bus. He could have kind of been happy about his efforts, but he he said – yeah, we need to not assess the first period. We need to set, assess the second and third periods and make sure we we stay on top of things. He he praised Erson and he said, if it wasn't for Erson, I think they they claw back in the game. We've got to fix that. So I thought one of the uh, leaders of the team kind of echoed his coach before his coach even talked. Thought that was a positive and a good way to look at it. But Joe, you mentioned Erson. I just I think he has really answered the bell. If, if he was shaky in one of these two games. I think suddenly some doubt creeps in a little bit where you're like, okay, he wasn't great before the break. And it kind of bled into these two games after the break. Instead, I think he has looked like a number one and a confident guy that the Flyers could rely on here down the stretch. Yeah, and and really this guy has shown the ability to handle whatever is thrown at him. You're the 1A, uh, even though at times he may have been playing better than Carter Hart. Uh, and he's and he's fine, and he plays well. Now with Carter Hart out of the mix, you're the main guy, and he's played well. Um, he had the little lull in the five-game losing streak. Again, not that it was him necessarily playing badly, but the you know goals allowed, not where you want them to be. And just when you th- it. Just when, and I'm not saying you're expecting him to go the way other way, but just when you think he might start to struggle, he comes out with these two games like this, and it's starting to, starting to become something you expect—a bounce back, an ability to deal with adversity, things that you want to see in a starting goaltender. Um, and Sam Erson showing all of them. And quite frankly, I think John Tortorella has seen this in Erson since last season. Every time he talks about him, he talks about his mental strength and his ability to deal with the ebbs and flows of games of the season uh, of the momentum all of that sort of stuff and it's really impressive it really is because um you know the flyers get lit up by that boston team before before the break and they have to sit there for eight nine days and kind of have that in the back of their mind and then you come out against a florida team who is another off you know, offensive team that puts up goals and he plays great. The guys play great in front of him. And it's like that game never happened or the losing streak never happened. It's almost like a new season started. It's uh, it's really, really impressive. And I think Arison's the number one reason why this has been the case, because as I said, they won these games in two different ways, low scoring um, against Florida, uh, kind of locking it down. And then last night setting the tone from the beginning and, you know, putting up a good number and and holding the Jets at bay. 
before the break, a lot of players talked about this could be a good time for a break, mental reset, uh, all those things. It's one thing to say it, and then it's another thing to actually come out of the break and prove it. And they have, to their credit, uh, two really promising wins where they looked recharged. Uh, they looked like they did have a reset. And I think it really benefited Sam Harrison. He, he said he thought everyone kind of needed a break from hockey mentally. I think goalie probably is the position where that really rings true. I mean, it's a mental grind in that where there's a lot of thinking, a lot going on. Harrison, I think, needed it. 24-year-old rookie that didn't play particularly well before the break. He got that reset, and he's shown that he's been a lot better because of it. Uh, credit to him. Joe, before we wrap here on this Flyers Talk podcast, we're going to get into a quick little bit of Super Bowl chatter, some odds here powered by Fanatic Sportsbook before Sunday's big game between the Chiefs and 49ers. Joe, I've got right here Debo Samuel, anytime touchdown plus 150 odds. How do you feel about that? So I, I, I like it because the thing with um, the dynamic thing with the 49ers offense is that everyone focuses on McCaffrey. He's almost off automatic to score every game, it seems like. And Debo's one of those guys that can punish the defense. And the 49ers, and oftentimes I think, use him to make a um, statement. And um, he's such a versatile player. There's so many ways they can get him in space. So I like that big time. Debo is one of the guys I, I would be looking to, to if the 49ers are going to score and be successful in this game. Um, Chiefs have a good D, but Debo's going to have to be right in the middle of it. So I like that a lot. I like it too, Joe, for the fact that, like you said, he is multidimensional. And it seems like when the Niners get in the red zone, that's where he's a big time threat as well because they use him in different ways. Uh, so I like it as well, despite liking the Chiefs to win the game. I picked the Chiefs in this ESPN bracket before to actually win the Super Bowl. So I'm going to stick with that pick. I'm going to go Kansas City. Who do you got, Joe? Yeah, I'm going to say Kansas City as well. And the reason is um, Mahomes has kind of taken the mantle from from Brady now as the guy that you just don't bet against in a big game. <laughs> yeah, he's It's hard to envision him losing a big game right now. Um, yeah. I mean, if you look at this team, Kansas City, where they were on Christmas Day, they lose at home to the Raiders, and everyone's like, okay, this is this team's done. They're not the same team. And then wake up in early February, and they're in the Super Bowl again. And guys seem to be clicking, and they're healthy. And, you know, of course, Andy with the – Andy Reid's play calling, they, you know, they seem to be firing on all cylinders despite a – uh, like a deficit in talent on offense compared to the 49ers, in my opinion. I think they have a a huge surplus in the quarterback position because Mahomes is just, to me, looking like a guy. Not not there yet, but he's on his way to having the best career ever, I think. Still young, too. That's what's scary is you think he's got two Super Bowls already. He's on the verge maybe of a third, and he's not even 30. That's pretty scary. Yeah, I agree. I, I think Andy Reid and Mahomes are just are different animals this time of year. And I think if people have bet against Mahomes so far in the playoffs, they're probably thinking I'm tired of betting against him because it just hasn't worked. Um, but should be a good game, Joe. Some good odds powered by Fanatics Sportsbook. Joe, great to see you. Great to chat flyers on a little bit of Super Bowl. Thanks so much. Uh, great. Uh, a big thank you to Ben Berry, our podcast producer and guru as well, for always being flexible with our time. And Flyers fans, of course, as always, thank you so much 
for listening to the latest Flyers Talk podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, please rate and listen. And we cannot wait to talk to you next time. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois.